welcome back to Fully Equipped. It is another week of musical chairs on this fair podcast. I am back from vacation, although I would call it a trip. We will discuss that in a minute. Chris is playing golf at Kapalua because he is an asshole. RB is back from Detroit, and as usual, Mr. Robot is there with his bright, smiling face. Boys, how are we doing? We're doing good. I mean, speaking of getting back from Detroit, I mean, I just, I literally rolled up 15 minutes ago into my driveway. I know so you did, literally, quite got, literally, you just rolled up. We got the mic set up, we got the computer set up, the light, we're ready to go. How long of a drive is that? It was uh, three hours, just just oh. over. And I mean, I was, I was with a stop to get a coffee because I really needed the coffee because I had a car alarm go off at 2.30 this morning uh, for, for like half an hour. So that was fun. Uh, but it was good. I mean, I'd, I'd rather drive because a uh, horror story from Toronto Someone, it's a 40 minute flight. It took someone eight and a half hours to get it done because of uh, the flight kept getting canceled and pushed back and pushed back. And I was like, you could have just drove here twice and home by that point. So, wow. um, but I'm here, I'm back again. And, and uh, like I said, I'm ready to go. Well, you all did not burn the podcast down last week. So maybe you'll we get tried. another shot without me. You did, you definitely tried <laughs> towards the end of the podcast. The last couple of minutes were questionable at best. Or poor RB was trying to herd cats and, you know. It, he did a good job. <laughs> he it's did tough. a good job. It is very it, diff- it's, it's very difficult when you have Chris and Gene. Yeah, that is true. That is true. Oh, look, something shiny. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was having this debate starting up the podcast. You know, I, I was on, I, they call it, they would call it vacation. I put the out of office on. I was off the grid with the family. But my wife and I talk about there is a difference between a vacation and a trip. When you go with the kids, it's a trip. When it's just you and your you and your significant other, that's vacation. Is that a, is that a fair assessment right there? Hundred percent. Yeah, I I, uh, I could not agree more. You know, tee yeah. tee it higher to to launch it higher and, and get some lower spin. And any place you're going with with children is not a vacation. It is a trip. Those are things that are, are can almost be written in stone at this point, uh, because I mean that's why I you know two young kids. We don't do a lot of the traveling bit at all because it takes more stuff to get there and unpack and then go through the process than it would be to actually just you know stay at home and just maybe enjoy some time off. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent. So I can give you a little ghost of Christmas future. Once they hit the teen years, it changes because they can, you know, they can haul their own stuff. They've got themselves organized. And so it, you, you can start going on vacations and doing things and not worrying about like their safety every 30 seconds type thing. And, you know, it, it allows you to, you know, when I was in Paris with my kids, I'd be like, Hey, go get some baguettes. You know, here's some money. We'll see you. You know, they'd come back an hour later. That's not conceivable with little ones. So that's the dream. I almost, yeah. I think that's probably why too. Like they call them golf trips. They don't call them golf vacations because there's always like the there's the planning people and then there's the people who are just there to get pointed in the right direction. And they're kind of like the little kids. You know, yeah. You got you got to keep track of them. You, you got to keep track of them. You got to point them in the right direction. You got to make sure they they don't eat too much, drink too much, get lost in the wrong cab. They got to get back to the hotel. Um, and again, that's why they call them golf trips, not golf vacations. There we go. I all concur. right. We, we are all in agreement there. 
So let's move on to the first golf topic. But before we do, I want to let you know that this week's episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by our friends at Global Golf. And they're all about you campaign. You've heard about us talk about it before. It's the three-pronged approach that consists of the you try, you trade it, and you select programs. The you try lets you try brand new golf clubs and tech for two weeks, where, when, and how you want. Love it? Keep it. If not, send it back. The you trade in provides the easiest way to help you get what's next for less, offering the best value for your gear, where you receive credit towards a new purchase. And the you select gives you personalized recommendations from PGA pros help you find the best gear for your game. Want to learn more? Go check it out. Globalgolf.com. All right. There was something going on last week on the PGA Tour. Probably not the story that a lot of people were were looking at, which is why I highlighted it this week on golf.com. If you want to go check out the story, let's kick it off. Tony Finau is your winner in Minnesota at the 3M, where Scott Kiersey absolutely melts down on Sunday. And Finau laps the field to win. Played well. It wasn't like it wasn't like he just kind of lucked into the victory. Tony, Tony played well on Sunday. He typically does, but usually, uh, I, and I love Tony, but the man is a top ten machine. That was just his third PGA Tour win. And usually, he has a strong Sunday that gives him one of those top tens. He kind of feels a lot to me like the new version of Matt Kuchar. He's kind of an automatic ATM. You know he's going to finish high on Sunday and get a top 10 finish. But this time, that strong finish on Sunday, that's him the win. And one piece of gear, boys, really stood out to me. It has nothing to do with, with the club side of this, of this equation. We're talking about the grips. Now, I did not know this at the time until I spent, spent the day with Tony a couple of months ago in Phoenix at Ping headquarters. And we did a rundown of the gear in his bag and I picked up one of his clubs and it felt like I was holding a tree trunk in my hand. The biggest grips, and I didn't know at the time what, what the grip build was underneath that Lampkin UTX grip that he has, but it's the biggest grip on tour, hands down. Nobody else has a bigger grip, but there's an interesting story behind it. So Finau is one of those guys kind of similar to Bubba Watson who doesn't want to play um, like a jumbo max, like Bryson plays the, the oversized grips. He's one of those guys who still wants to play a midsize, but the midsize is too small for his hands. And so he goes with a midsize lampkin, but he adds 13 <laughs> tape wraps underneath the lower hand and 12 tape wraps underneath the top hand it's it's unbelievable i've never seen anything like it it gives it a consistent width basically throughout the grip from the butt cap all the way down to when it's reaching the steel and i asked him about it and he just said uh it's the size i like it fits my hands perfectly he has always liked a consistent thickness because if you if you were to go get one of your grips there's a taper to it. It it starts wider at the top and and gradually gets smaller as it gets towards the steel. But Tony wants to have that consistent thickness throughout. And he said, it just feels good in his right hand. His right hand never feels like it's coming off the golf club when he releases it. And so that's why he's always done that. But I, you know, RB, you were there in Detroit and you can, you can talk a little bit about this because you build clubs for a living. 20, 25 wraps of tape. That's excessive underneath a mid-sized grip 
it, it takes a little bit of time to build females grips as you talk to the pink tour reps. They must, they must stretch a lot because, you know, one of the things that I always noticed was, and I had, I had a couple of players that I built golf clubs for who were always very specific on like six wraps of tape underneath a standard size on a, so it's a 600 core grip on a 600 core shaft with uh, six wraps of tape. So it takes, that takes a lot of time to go through that process in the first place. And then secondly, it doesn't lead to uh, a grip that's going to last a really long time because what you're doing is you're stretching it out. You, I think that's why it can be very difficult for some players to change from a standard size with wraps to a midsize because of the, the feeling of what that grip is like. It's it, think of it like uh, if you have a bike tire or any type of tire and you overinflate it, right? The walls of that are going to get slightly thicker and a little bit more firmer. That's kind of what you're doing when you're putting all these extra wraps of tape under a grip. And that's what he's created. And it's probably something because I, from looking at the grips, they are a quarter grip. They are a bigger grip. And so for him, it is, it's probably got a lot to do with the, the texture as well as the size, because it, again, it probably is pretty firm. And, you know, as, as I, I got you, you messaged me, you, you said you were kind of talking about this and I wanted to get a little bit more information and for two people, it's about an hour to go through that process to get those clubs gripped, which is, which is pretty insane because, you know, I can, I mean, depending on how long it takes to pull grips off, I can read a set of golf clubs in like 20 minutes. So that's one person. So two people and the way ping does it, if you've ever seen them do the spiral wrapping versus the, the layer of tape that goes around on both sides, uh, that's a detailed process. So, Very detailed. <laughs> so I have a question from a technical standpoint, I've always understood that the larger grips, and I don't know Tony's swing style or his shot shape, but the larger grips are to help minimize closure, right? And prevent kind of those hands from rotating over. Is that exactly. something that he, is that something that he fights? Um, you know, that, that he needs a grip that's that big. I feel like a lot of tour pros, that's the one miss that they don't want to see. They don't want to see the snappy. Mm -hmm. And so in Tony's case, he's, he's kind of a, a guy who likes to hit that controlled fade off the tee. So you're exactly right. I mean, for, for the average golfer out there, if you were to go pick up your golf clubs, I mean, the, the grip should fit in your hand comfortably. It shouldn't feel like you're having to, you know, cram your hands around the grip to get comfortable and it shouldn't feel like you really can't get a solid grip on the club because it, because the grip's too big. Um, and some of that is, is trial and error a little bit, but, but you're exactly right. If, if your grip's too small for your hands, it's going to activate a lot of the smaller muscles. It's going to cause you to, to have, you know, closure on the face. You're going to probably start drawing the ball a lot more, maybe get into doing snap hook. That's why a lot of pros, you know, typically they'll go a little bit bigger, in their grips. But again, it's, it's all, it's all personal feel. And some people ask me, well, if Tony has a grip that's this big, why does he not just go to a jumbo and save the ping guys time? And a lot of it has to do is kind of RB said, it's a feel thing. He likes the feel of those wraps of tape that helps stretch that rubber. And so it makes it thinner, but it also makes it firmer. So he likes the firmer grip versus using an oversized that might have a similar build but is going to feel a little bit squishier in his hands. Bubba Watson does the same thing with his grips. He uses 12 and 10. Fina uses, as I mentioned, 13 and 12. But 
uh, one of the things that I did want to point out, I, I, after this story went live yesterday, I got a message on Instagram from the guys over at the Ponte Vedra Golf Shop. And they told me that during the Tour Championship, they actually had an opportunity to regrip some of Tony's clubs. And they sent me a picture, I'll post it on social, of the tape wraps. I mean, it literally looks like um, like a spiral notebook, like just 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 layer upon layer of tape just crammed in a, uh, a tape wrap sandwich. It's pretty funny, but it, it I, I mean, I always thought that the guys on the pink truck did it, but then I was like, oh, wait, on a V-Drew week, you know, maybe not everybody's there, you know, maybe there's a situation where you might have to get a, uh, uh, you know, another shop involved and they actually had a chance to do it, which I thought was pretty cool. But bottom line, Females grips are are one of a kind. Do not ask your club builder <laughs> to do something similar. He'll probably murder you. Yeah, please don't. Yeah. <laughs> please well, think, don't. To your point, like when we talk about grip size, like everyone thinks of like the the standard traditional, like longest finger to the point on the top of the hand and to the bottom of the hand and the wrist. But a lot of t- what it really comes down to is where someone grips it. So if you grip it in the in the fingers a smaller grip could work really well because you're, you're feeling very com- like compact in that size. Whereas if you're someone who grips more in the hand, like more in towards the palm, that's where you have someone like Bryson who will, who doesn't, who maybe like extends his wrist. I don't know if that's like flexion or whatever that term is, but when you go like this and you're bent more, you see those players who will use those bigger grips in that part of their hand. And so again, it comes down to like kind of figuring out what's going to work. Cause yeah, some players want small, some players want like bigger. Uh, but for those out there who are looking to, to try, I think it's always one of those elements of like figure out what's going to work in your hands for being comfort and then go from there and, you know, figure out maybe a little bigger, a little bit smaller. But uh, yeah, there's, there's so many options when it comes to grips. You got to like, it's the only connection you have between you and your golf clubs. It's not emotional. So uh, it's, it's, you want to make sure it's comfortable. Yeah. What do you guys do for your grips? For, for me, I play being six, five, I, I usually play a midsize in my woods and I use a couple of extra wraps because again, I, I always have fought the hooks. So if I can get a little bit larger grip irons, I, I play a midsize, but I only play it with an, with an extra wrap underneath. And so I'm fine with it not feeling as big, but then in my wedges, I play a standard with two wraps. I, I'm not consistent throughout. I like, I like kind of being able to, to feel my hands a bit more on the, on the wedge shots and to get a little more active, but with the others, I'm okay with using a, a grip that's probably more suited for my hands. Where do you guys fall? I'm a, uh, a 580 grip. Like, so inside core diameter of on a tour velvet, like 360 grip on it, yep. like mostly 600 shafts, one wrap of tape. I've, I've tried everything. I've literally tried super small i've tried like oversized i've tried jumbo size grips in the past and every time i pick up one of these golf clubs just got like a standard uh grip on it i'm like yeah this feels good and it's weird again i've tried everything and i always kind of gravitate back towards that and i've i've gotten to the point where i i don't really experiment i have different i have like some i'll say like some cheaper grips that i bought just for like experimental golf clubs i could throw in a couple dollars a grip throw them on, take them to the range if I don't like it. And they're really small. And I'm every time I get one of those in my hands, I'm like, Oh, it's kind of nice. But I'm like, eh, I just know that it's not, if I have to go and like, you know, actually play some golf, I don't think I'm going to like it. So uh, I'm as, basically as standard as it gets. 
Yeah, I'm the same way. I uh, standard seems to work. I mean, I've I've experimented with lightweight grips, which actually can generate more club head speed, which is interesting. And you know, as I get a little longer in the tooth, I may have to start you know returning to trying to you know maintain or keep that club head speed. But from a consistency standpoint, um, you know, and part of it is. I've been playing standard grips my whole life, kind of like what you were saying, RB, you know, and it's like you go and experiment with these things and they work or they kind of work, but you're kind of out of that baseline comfort zone that you've had, you know, swinging a golf club. So it almost requires, you know, kind of a new technique, which at this point in my golf game is absolutely terrifying. So, and I, and I have, um, I use like a medium glove. So like I basically rate in the size of like, you know, you would consider like an average grip size. And again, having tried uh, multiple different ones in the past. And I was like, again, the interesting thing with, I would say like my hands are very, I, I, my friends always used to joke that I call them Ninja Turtle hands. Uh, it's all palm and no finger. So for me to get a grip that like sits in my fingers, I think that's why if I try a small grip, I really like it. But once I start moving around, I actually know that I do grip more towards the palm. So a standard size grip actually works well. And that's, that's why I use it. Yeah. I've used all kinds of grips, but it's mostly because I'm a head case. So <laughs> just try and see what, what allows me to keep the golf ball on the planet. The one, the one tip I will say for those who are looking at grips, if you are going to invest in some new grips, that is to try it on one golf club. Try it on your seven iron. Try it on one of your favorite golf clubs. Me, I know a lot of people try it on their driver, but try it on a club that you're going to hit a lot of shots with. Take it to the range before doing your full set. You don't want to invest in a set of grips and then realize, I don't like these at all. I've seen it happen too many times building golf clubs where someone's like, oh, I like this. It's new. Put them on all my clubs. And you see them two days later and they want them regripped again. Try and avoid that as best you can. Try one club and, you know, I think it's the best way. And if you do like it, then you can do the rest of your set. And it's, it's not overly time consuming either way. It's a great piece of advice. I, you know, because people always ask, well, how, how do I, how do I test on different grips? And, and I think, as you said, find your favorite club, favorite iron in the set and, and do some testing, see what you think. So, all right. Well, one of the casualties of my trip last week, I somehow lost a bag or I shouldn't say I lost a bag. The airline lost my bag. They didn't even scan it. So they have no idea where the bag is. And unfortunately, I'm not the only one who's losing bags this summer. I'm calling this the summer of lost luggage because it feels like everybody I talk to is losing some piece of luggage or they're waiting an hour at the terminal, uh, the baggage claim to get their luggage. And RB, as you found out, there, there's, a, there's an, an epidemic a foot on the PGA tour right now when it comes to lost bags. And it's not just losing a bag containing clothes. We're talking about bags containing golf clubs. What What's going on this week at the rock and mortgage? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting because it's, we saw it at the British open or open championship. Victor Hovland placed fourth. And I, I just wrote a piece about this. And I know uh, I wrote a piece a couple weeks ago leading up to the Open. Shane Bacon, well-known golf podcaster, broadcaster, kind of had this weird experience where someone saw his bag. It was at the terminal. It was sitting in a pile of other ones. 
he had his podcast logo on his on his travel bag or his old podcast logo on the bag. So someone I love saw Shane, it, good buddy of mine, very smart. Which I thought was really funny. And someone's like, hey, is this your clubs? He's like, well, yeah, it's got my name on it. So yeah, those are my clubs. And again, someone very nicely and kindly I've ended up bringing them to him in St. Andrews. So that's always a cool one. Uh, but you know, I think it first of all, it's easy to tell who's flying private and who's not on the PGA tour. But we saw uh, Luke Donald was one. He posted on Twitter that uh, he had his full bag basically d- end up in the void somewhere in Amsterdam. And I think, you know how, like, uh, I don't know, let's say six months ago, everyone was posting Wordle scores and everyone was posting, uh, like, whatever, like the t- any type of, like, hashtag challenge that's out there or something like that. Right now in golf, it's like I am posting where my air, air tag is in my golf bag somewhere around the world and it's just there and it's like the viral thing to do if you if you've lost a baggage a piece of baggage at this point i mean i've seen it a number of times on instagram and twitter from like guys who are just like retail friend golfers of mine and then pros and so luke donald got a brand new set of clubs built by by the team at mizuno and some i think some tailor-made stuff uh and an odyssey putter and like basically his, his whole set was completely replaced showed up on monday at the rock and mortgage and that was ready to go for him Another one too, I think uh, Troy Mullinax. So I, I think he's he had some bulky. Like he lost his whole bag. Apparently, it's coming back or it's on its way somewhere. They found it, but he had a full set of replacement stuff ready to go uh, last week, and then this week again, uh, it's his first time back. He didn't play at the 3M. Uh, Canadian Mackenzie Hughes had uh, the pin guys build him up a whole new set of clubs, including. What I understand was he had a he had a ping hoofer bag, which I would say probably was from his college, that he had his name on the ball pocket on the back of the old like hoofer. That's what he had at on the putting green at Detroit, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, the only thing that was really hard for him is he has used the same Piper C putter. It's a center shafted uh, putter with a like a mallet with a TR insert. He's got a counterweight in it. He's got lead tape on the sole. As the the, the guys from uh, Ping pointed out, it's, it was his baby. He's always had this putter. And now it is – they say – it's like, you know, some people know where their clubs are. Mackenzie's is apparently just lost in the void. So we don't know if they're ever going to get that back. But they did uh, They did replace everything in there. I was talking to him. He seemed to be enjoying it so far. But, you know, it's not the one, right? So uh, we'll see how that goes. But, you know, that's the cool thing about – the way these vans keep specs for all these players is to be able to recreate it at the end of the day is one of the most uh, cool things uh, of their, the way they're able to produce golf clubs. Cause to me that, that that's the difference between someone who assembles golf clubs and someone who builds golf clubs. Uh, when I, when people ask that question, like what makes someone a club builder, a club builder can look at the, look at the information that's provided and, and basically recreate something over and over and over again a club assembler is someone who can look at the specs and go shaft head grip, boom, done. And like, there's just kind of no other processes involved in that. That to me is the difference. And that's what I think, you know, what all of these vans can do when it comes to the to producing equipment is, is probably one of the coolest things. That's what I geek out on when I'm in there. I'm like, what's going on with the details? What are you doing? Why is there lead tape on that? Why does it need lead tape? You have access to all this other stuff. He goes, Nope. The other one had lead tape. We're, we're recreating it exactly the way it was. Yeah, that's, that's the big problem for tour pros is not so, I mean, they're going to be able to get unlimited access to gear. So recreating a set with the help of, of the guys in the truck, that's not a problem, but you, you all know this because we're all golfers here. It's the space between the ears. 
just because you give a guy a set that has the lead tape in the exact same spot and the clubs are all swing weighted and built exactly like his previous set. It doesn't mean that the guy's going to go out there and go, Oh man, these feel exactly the same. Like you could, you could pick them up and be like, ah, oh, they just feel a little bit too lighter. They feel a little too heavy or they're not going through the turf like they normally do. It's tough. I mean, losing a putter, that's a biggie because that ends up more often than not being the golf club that ultimately determines who's going to be winning a golf tournament on Sunday. So yeah, losing golf clubs for a PGA Tour pro, that's that's a doomsday scenario. I mean, it's probably a doomsday scenario for anybody. I've I've had my clubs go, you know, missing for a couple of days and then resurface and you're just sweating it out. You know, it's it's the worst feeling in golf. Your clubs your clubs are gone. You don't know if you're going to get them back. And if it happens on a on a golf trip, that's even worse because then you're then you're contemplating the idea of you having to use a rental set. Yeah, that's a that's a big no no for me. Lucky for you, Gene, when you went to when you went to Paris, the only thing you were packing was a ball. Well, you weren't even packing bottles of wine; you were picking them up on the other side. Yep, baguettes Nothing too. Related whatsoever, just baguettes, berets, and wine, fromage, and charcuterie, baby. Well, hiking boots. You, I'm sure you brought your own hiking boots. You want, yeah, yeah, you don't want you don't want to break a new set of those and climbing up. No, mountains. I I brought a new set of hiking boots, but what I did not bring that I screwed up on was compression uh, socks, and my knees are now like cankles, and it's been three weeks afterwards. I've never had swollen knees like this, so I'm realizing that it may be just golf in my future. That hiking may be a little bit of a younger guy sport, so. Kind of moving in that direction. Okay. So RB, as you mentioned, was in Detroit this week for Rocket Mortgage. I want you to give me a quick rundown on what you saw, things that stood out to you on the range. But first things first, we haven't talked a lot about this since you've been on the pod. You're you're a big pizza guy. I mean, you might yeah. be as as big a pizza nerd as you are a gear nerd. I'm getting what, there. I'm certainly getting there. What, what what was the pizza scene like in Detroit? First, let's, let's start with the most important stuff. Yeah, it was good. Uh, I went to like uh, the the Detroit institution that a lot of people uh, will recommend, and that is Buddy's Pizza. So like the square pan uh, cheese around the outside, Detroit style, like the classic style pizza. Um, like quick background for myself. A lot of people like you know pandemic people were making bread. Bread's not really my scene. I mean, pizza is obviously like bread, but making loaves of bread. Nah, I wasn't really into that thing. I wanted something else that was a little bit more grab and go. Uh, so I got into making pizza in my, like just my home oven, ended up buying a pizza oven. And from there, it's just kind of like continued. I'm actually going to make some dough later today for you know a few days from now, because it's got to ferment in the fridge for at least three days. It's got like at least two days uh, to make sure you get to what happens. If, what happens if you don't do, if you just do a day in like two I, days? A day is okay. What I do is, again, I'll leave it out for like six six oh, hours or seven hours so that like ferments like really quickly. And then you put it in the fridge so it kind of builds some flavor. Uh, but if you like slow ferment it or proof it, as they say, um, in like a colder temperature for longer, you get a little better texture. Uh, I used to not think that I could really notice it. But after you, after you eat, I don't know, a hell of a lot of pizza, I don't even want to put a number on it. Um, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, this one didn't sit in the fridge long enough when you kind of figure that stuff out. Uh, but Detroit was good. Uh, it's like a, it's a big, it's a little thick, but it's fluffy. So it's like, it's almost like, it's kind of like focaccia, but 
you know, it's focaccia with cheese on top with the around the outside, really crusty. And then they do the, the, a lot of the toppings are under the cheese. So they stay nice and moist. They don't get crispy. Just the cheese is crispy on the outside. The crust is really crispy on the bottom. And then the sauce goes along the top rather than underneath it. Uh, so it was good. It was, I was impressed. I, uh, I had that and watched a, watched a baseball game. And then I took in a baseball game the other, the other night, I went and saw like five innings of, of the, the Tigers play, which for as someone who has to deal with the, not that I've been in a while, but the Skydome in Toronto or Rogers center, we call it Skydome real originals. People call it Skydome, but that, uh, concrete Coliseum versus like a beautiful outdoor stadium with like just this awesome atmosphere. Uh, I really liked it. So, um, but yeah, that was, that was the, that was the, the whole Detroit experience as far as non-golf was concerned, but, uh, there was a lot for a event that would, you would say would be a little slower. There was quite a bit going on, um, still more driver testing for the TSI or TSR. Sorry. Uh, Davis love was, uh, putting some woods as well as the driver, I believe into play. Um, soon you'll know who's a Strixon staffer, but I know they have a lot of leeway with the driver. Um, he was working with that and a couple of graphic design options. Uh, Ryan Moore had like four different sets of irons kind of kicking around his golf bag. It was just a, uh, a heap of all kinds of stuff going on there. He's trying to figure out feels. I know he's a, he's a big, big field player. And then Andreas Gonzalez, who most people will recognize as like the huge mustache and like the, the kind of thing that goes down to the goatee, uh, played PGA tour corn Ferry. kind of, he's been kind of called like a, what do you call it? Four a, a four a player uh, in, in golf. Um, he's actually caddying for, for Ryan over the next couple of weeks. So he was like hanging out on the driving range. Um, and then the other one too, which, you know, we've covered uh, pretty extensively already was, uh, Adam Scott was working with the, uh, Mizuno guys on the range quite a bit with talking irons. They had a, a set built up. I don't know if he was, um, I don't know if he's put him in play, but they had a couple different irons that were kicking around. He was talking soul. You could hear him he likes that old school flat stole as we've talked, covered it in with, with his mirrors that they, that have been custom built for him. Um, so he's talking soul width and camber and like listening to those, like listening to him talk about, like have that conversation with his caddy and uh, the uh, Jeff from Mizuno and, and talking about how those different soul profiles to him feel different from say going to the open and coming to some softer conditions at Detroit golf club uh, was, was fascinating. And like, he knows his gear, like he knows his iron history. Cause he was talking like, you know, and I got, I mean, I've got 32s and tw- uh, 14s and a couple different like old sets of Mizuno's kicking around as well as a lot of other golf clubs, but the very flat sole, he likes that he's talking about, you know, I have a set MP 29s and they were like the six eighties that I had with a flatter sole. They're a little wider, but they're still a blade. So, uh, listening to someone, uh, cause some players aren't super like geeky when it comes to gear. Scott will go deep on stuff and he knows the history of like certain models that he liked. And to me, just like flying the wall for 10 minutes, listening to this conversation was, was really cool. So what was he testing? Which, which model? Um, two, two, one. I'm almost sure I, I, they could have been MP4, but I'm pretty sure they were the two, two ones. Um, I know they have some older, like, uh, MP4s out there with like Jonathan Vegas and stuff, but, um, there he was, I'm pretty, I'm almost certain they were the two, two ones. Another one too was uh, some new PXG irons. So ST blade, uh, not a huge difference. Talk to the the PXG guys. Talk to Henry on the van um, uh, today. So b- before I left Detroit this morning, I snuck out in the end of the van and, and just talked, uh, picked his brain for a little bit about it. And he says, "No, a blade's a blade, but 
a blade is not always a blade as we, as we've had this discussion a couple different ways. So certain players prefer a different aesthetic as far as top line or squareness. And for, uh, it was Lauer. Yeah. I want to say it was Lauer. No, no, it was Norlander. Sorry. It was, uh, Norlander. Yeah, Norlander. Yeah, yeah. So he takes, he takes a big heavy divot. So he wanted something with a little bit like a lot of camber, um, PXGs are known for quite a bit of camber in the sole and, uh, quite a bit of bounce. So, uh, just for him, square look, a lot of bounce and, uh, that's why they've gone and play. And it's a raw mill club. It looks really cool. It's, it's called the 0317, isn't it? Uh, I have to, you know, I have to look at my pictures. <laughs> I think you'd, you'd send some, I think they were called the, the 0317, but the, the 0317 is, is, has always been their naming for the woods. Like if you go back to, to like the gen one products, you know, it was, yeah, it was the it was the O three it was the O three eleven, which was which was Ping's or sorry, Ping yeah they're both located there that was a miss uh, no the, the the irons from PXG are the O three elevens so that was the yeah, one thing that I, did catch catch my eye from that photo was just the difference in the naming of these prototypes yeah O three seventeen ST was yep. the yeah I just I pulled out the photo on my phone because I sent it to you but yeah. Um, that is an interesting one. Cause I didn't, I didn't honestly didn't even notice it. Cause it's just like the backs of them have the milling marks, like the lines. I know you can mill something completely flat. They've obviously left the aesthetic there. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, I mean, they're a good looking iron. I always say like, um, there's something like, I like, I like the look of a PXG iron. It's not like it's something that I I've never really played with. I said, I've kind of messed around with them and I've, I've tested them. Uh, I've always liked the look of them, uh, just, from a shaping perspective. So I think the way that they produce a lot of different versions of their clubs, like the blades is why, like, I think they have a lot of players use their irons because they get exactly what they want. Yeah. And the ST has always been their They're more traditional. They had the O two eleven ST blades. They had the O three eleven STs. So, I mean, if you were somebody that liked PXG, but wanted to play a, a more traditional profile, that was the one that you went with. But yeah, they have a really they have a cool look to them. I like that. All right. Well, Brooke Henderson, we we need to do, and this is something I keep talking about. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get to a couple of LPGA events in the next couple of months because I need to start seeing what's out there and what's trending. But Brooke Henderson, let's give her a little bit of love. She wins the Avion Championship. Um fourth major of the OPGA season in the second of her career. It's hard to believe that we're actually like wrapping up another season of professional golf, but there's one club in her bag that I did want to briefly talk about. She's still using the ping G 400, but she's now playing it. She was before the USGA decided to close that. I wouldn't even call it a loophole, but to close out the possibility of playing a 48 inch driver. She was probably one of the only ones who played 48 who went like to the absolute max. But when the rule went in place, she had to change and she went to, to 46 inches plays a TPT shaft. You know, TPT was, I felt like it had its moment for a little while. We haven't heard too much about TPT recently. Uh, I remember when Jason day was, was using one and, and, um, anyway, but yeah, that, that ping G 400, we've talked about the driver in, in the past. It's one of those where if, if Chris was here on the pod with us, he would tell you it's a tough one to beat. If somebody comes in with a G 400, 
I would think you'd have a difficult time knocking them out of, one out of the bag. And Brooke, to her credit, has continued to play it, even though she had to cut it down two inches. Yeah. Have you, when, when it comes to, to drivers, like, I mean, I know Ping is definitely like known for like the heavier headweights and the like very high MOI. As far as across the face that I know, like give or say what you want, but like if, if it's like the fastest or not, but when it comes to like around the face, if you do like a nine point test or kind of extreme heel toe, is there really anything that's more forgiving gene that like the robot shows as far as consistency and ball flight? Yes. It is. It is really <laughs> like, it's just it. no, 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 no. There are, there are clubs that are more forgiving. There is. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 No, there are. Cobra. No, no, ping is, Cobra had an exceptional line this year in their LTD and their last year um, too. Yeah. And last year too. And there are others. I mean, ping is always, that's kind of, you know, been one of their cornerstones and they do really well, but there are other companies that, that are equal um, and some slightly better than, than ping. So, yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it, the beauty of it is, from a consumer standpoint is um, there are a multitude of options depending on exactly what you're looking for as a player. And if, you know, uh, distance loss is critical, um, you know, uh, there's, there's a, there's the Callaway max had really good distance loss, the Cobra um, and, and the ping, they, they all, um, perform really well on off center hits and distance drop off. And so, um, and then there's other clubs that, you know, have great gear effect on the toe and, you know, other clubs that stay out on the toe and have gear effect on the heel preventing, you know, a, a kind of the snap hook. So, you know, the beauty of doing nine point testing is you get an overall profile of each individual club head. And then you can kind of look at that profile and say, okay, if this is a player that needs to draw the ball, this is the club for them. If this is a player that just wants to hit the ball as long as they can, this is the club for them because this is the highest launching, lowest spinning. If they're going to get themselves in that position, if this is a player that needs the most forgiveness, this is a club for them. And so it's fun to look at that data and kind of kind of determine. And it's not even necessary. I mean, some of it is skill-based and handicap-based. But some of it is just kind of player preference based. What are they looking for, say, in the driver? What what is the main function of the driver? Is it to hit it as far as possible? Is it to hit it as accurately as possible? Is it to be able to shape the shot? And so we can look at all the performance characteristics and kind of make a determination as to which product would fit which player the best. Yeah. Gene, have you done a lot of testing with Chaplink? Yes. Yes. And what's interesting, and I was thinking about it when you were talking about Brooke, and it would be interesting. I don't know if there's any articles written about this or not, but um, cutting two inches off your shaft, that's going to change your swing arc. That's going to, you know, one of the things about the longer shafts that we found, even with the robot, is timing becomes critical. And you really have to learn to slow your left arm down in order to allow that club head to deliver. And a lot of times you need that on a positive attack angle to swing up on the ball. If not, that club head has a tendency of trailing. So 
you're 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 kind of and I'm just guessing here, but I'm guessing she probably was having a little bit more of an inside out move, um, kind of face to path, uh, probably square if not slightly open to you know create either you know a slight block or a little bit of a draw. Two inches that changes dramatically. Now all of a sudden, with that same swing, that club head could be much more closed coming into impact. And suddenly, um, you know, she's going to have to, uh, you know, change her swing dynamics in order to deliver that club head. I mean, that's that's a that's a seismic shift in uh, timing as far as swinging a 48 inch club versus a, a 46 inch club. And the, the other thing for, for Brooke as well is is the. Um the counterbalance aspect of like what she was doing before. Cause she had that 48 inch driver, but she didn't play it. Like she didn't, I, I was, I know maybe the, the, the reference might be lost to some people, but like Anthony Kim was always someone who would like his hands would be closer to the bottom of the grip than they would be the top of the grip. I am the opposite. Like the butt end of the grip sits like right in the, like almost not quite the palm of my hand, but like towards the, the meat of the bottom of my hand, it doesn't sit through my, my, my fingers at all or through my grip. And so for her, I think she's actually moved to produce putting something where it is like a little bit more towards the end of the grip cap versus the bottom because the 48 inch driver was almost as a way to like counterbalance it because of the extra length um which is again she, she played her fairy wood pretty long as well which is kind of interesting and she's really not one to tinker so this must have taken quite a bit of time to like get that whole thing set up where the like every, nothing really else kind of in her bag has stayed the same for a long time at this point uh, other than I know she's switched to left hand low, which is something they talked about and you saw on the broadcast, but the driver is the big one. And, you know, it is hard to change, especially when it comes to that grip as we talked earlier. And, you know, before we talk anything else about the rest of her bag, if we are going to be talking about grips, we should also let you know that, <laughs> <laughs> that fully equipped is brought to you oh, by well. golf pride and the all new CPX grip. <laughs> now look at this guy. The CPX grip is Golf Pride's softest performance grip yet. And that is, it is a one piece material. We're not talking about a dual or multiple layers onto a grip. It is a single piece soft material that uses an exo diamond quilted pattern. So if you know, used to ride your old BMX bike, you'd have those soft kind of grippy handles. They've utilized that texture to create something that puts less pressure onto your hands. And when you have less pressure on your hands, you get less vibration in your hands. You can practice longer you can reduce fatigue in your fingers and your hands if you're someone who has arthritis potentially or someone who is just looking for more comfort in general you know you get to the end of the round of golf maybe you are someone who doesn't play that often and you know you feel like your hands are getting tired towards that 18 holes this is something that's going to help you be able to do that and when you practice longer and play more you're going to also play better so the cpx is a soft grip for a hard game. And if you're looking to try them out, you can find your local retail that carries Golf Pride, or you can head over to golfpride.com to learn more about the CPX. We gotta start doing Wonderful. side bets as to when he's gonna like drop these in, you know. Well, I'm gonna win those because uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of see where where the yeah well, you're not gonna you don't get to participate you're like <laughs> guiding this conversation so that's not fair but maybe yeah, we can it, have it, the it, listeners at home do that there we can go start placing bets <laughs> yeah at what point in the podcast well the one of the only other thing that i wanted to point out about brooke is as i'm going through her bag is she plays g400 
in all of her woods with the exception of the hybrid. She's G400 in the five wood and G400 stretch in the three woods. So clearly something going on there with those G400 woods for her. I, I would love to talk gear with her. Maybe we, we talk to Ping and see if we can get her on the pod. I would think she'd be an interesting one. Not just so much. I mean, the driver obviously is, is a discussion. As RB mentioned, the the putter, putter grip as uh, LKD, Luke Herdenin from uh, golf, did a story on Garson had a big weekend. They won on the LPGA and the PGA Tour. But I think she'd be a fun chat when it comes to the gear in her bag. Um, and the other thing, too, is she did switch this year to a tailor-made ball. And yes. So that, like, I know we talked a lot about ping, but, uh, you know, I think she was a title staff for a very long time. Um, so this is the first time she's got a similar deal to Ricky. She, um, with a, I believe it's a glove and a ball deal. Correct. Uh, same, same sort of deal. You're right. Yeah. So, um, no, it's, it's one of the few players that Taylor made just has a ball deal with and, uh, for her to, you know, switch hasn't had any issues with that as well. Obviously works well with her gear. She hasn't changed any of her gear all other than the driver for length. So I uh, just uh, wanted to point that out as well. Yeah, for sure. All right. A couple more topics that I want to discuss. First one I noticed or I should say I noticed, RB noticed as he was perusing Instagram, Kenny Harms, who is Kevin Nas caddy, posted some pictures from the upcoming Live Golf event at uh, up in Jersey. Looks like Live is going from a, a small truck to a big truck. This thing looks kind of familiar, RB. You and I were talking about where it might have originated. If so, for those who don't know, I always like this is not like some inside secret. A lot of smaller companies will buy the bigger companies' used vans. Um, you know, there's there are vans out on the tour now that belong to some of the bigger, larger OEMs or trailers. Sorry, uh, that as other companies have upgraded to like bigger ones or newer ones, they get they get a new wrap on them. They get a little custom upgrade on the inside. And from my understanding, the live van is the old Callaway van or trailer. I keep saying van. I'm just used to saying van, but it is the trailer that gets pulled by like a big, um, you know, 18 wheeler, whatever you want to call it. Um, but that's, that's what it looks like. And, you know, at the, at this point, and you know, we've, you've seen it with the contracts, you've seen it with the players that have, that have, uh, you know, I want to say jump ship or whatever, however you want to phrase it, defected. That have moved, you defected to live golf. Uh, these guys are not afraid to spend money. They are not afraid to spend money. And, you know, for as anyone who ever, you know, if you work in service or retail or whatever it happens to be, when someone comes in and they got, maybe it's cars, you see it in car sales, right? Right now, car, like if you want a car and you got enough money, you can get the car that you want. These guys are just walking around like um, Lloyd and uh, the guys from Dumb and Dumber when they got that million dollar briefcase. And they're just like, here's something for you. Here's something for you. And they saw a need for the fact that they didn't have um, a trailer. They had obviously paid. Um, the guys at Pumpkin Ridge, uh, the uh, Ben and the Tour Van company there to, to service players that week. Uh, there was a company in Europe that does that uses like a shipping container. Uh, I know a friend reached out to me. So when they were doing the one in London, they had like the shipping container shop that they basically drop it. They can pull everything out, put everything back in. And now that they're um, at the Bedminster, like Bedminster, they've got, uh, you know, they went out, they bought one, they rebranded it and they are ready to rock. And it's, I'm sure it's full of gear. I don't know where they got it from or who's stocking it. I don't know any information on that, but, uh, they've definitely got the whole thing wrapped up with, uh, no company logos on it. It's just got their live golf on it. 
And uh, so we'll see, uh, we'll see what that, uh, what that kind of turns out to be, you know, cause if a lot of these players, if they're wearing these team hats, that's like the biggest piece of branding that it, it, like it's more valuable than a golf bag. So if they're wearing sure. crushers and niblicks and Majestics or whatever, I don't know. Those are the only ones that I can remember at the moment. Um, punch. Pretty good. I couldn't remember any of them. I think punch is one too. Um, so if they're have, if they can't wear the company logos, right? Like live is just going to service them because the OEMs, some of them are keeping the contracts. Some of them are not. I don't know how the whole thing is working. We still up in the air. It's a, it's a, it's a big game of, of juggling right now, but uh, they've got their own van now. So, you know, developing story, watch the space. Well, and, and it, you know, it, it, it segues, it's interesting. I was reading something over the last week about the live economic model and I, I don't full disclosure. I don't quite grasp it, but what, they were making the comparison to F1, and they said once you group a group of golfers into a team, you can market that team uh, much more effectively for higher dollars than each individual golfer. And that's basically what they do with F1. So I started thinking about that this week, and I don't know if it's feasible or not, but this would be wild to see. Imagine if you had the Callaway team, the Titleist team, the TaylorMade team, and, you know, suddenly these teams, they pool their players together and now they're competing kind of like in F1, the Ferrari team, the Porsche team, the McLaren team. And suddenly you, you, you might have some real interesting equipment stories that you've got a group of players, you know, on on Callaway that they're going head to head against the tailor-made guys and, you know. I'm sure that both brands would love that. And, it, you know, I, I don't know the economics and I don't know if there's enough uh, coverage to support that, that, you know, if it's biased on one side or the other. But I started thinking about that and thought that might be really intriguing if it evolves into that. And suddenly we, you know, start looking at specific teams that that are sponsored, you know, by OEMs and um, and you know, you see different performance characteristics. I always look back at my days of like golf retail and I've always, I've always been fitter focused. So, you know, I'm not really, I'm brand agnostic. I had a bag full of different golf clubs. I, I, no one's, no one pays me to put golf clubs in my bag. Um, so it always shocked me when you'd have, I'd have customers come in and I mean, this was 15 years ago and you still see it now. People would be like, nah, I'm more of a titleist guy. No, I'm more of a, I'm more of a tailor-made guy. I'm more of a like a pin guy. And from a fitting perspective, I'm like, why? Like, why do you care? Like they don't, they they're not you're you're the one spending money on their golf clubs. And I, you know, to the point of like, you know, what you said there, Gene, speaking of F1, I I'm an F1, I've become an F1 fan. And like I know how much a Mercedes freaking baseball cap costs. They're like a hundred like Canadian, they're like $90. Does it make is it is it like they're not paying me to wear, and I don't drive a Mercedes. Like, I don't know. Right. Can I get a, Can someone send me a Toyota cap? Like, right. But, but that's what I'm saying. So, like, there there are people just strictly from a branding perspective, where people don't necessarily relate to like specific players. That's the one thing that like F1 or NASCAR has an advantage that they built into like the way the model is set up is the fact that you have these relationships to teams over like, which is like almost literally a brand versus the driver. Like you're, if you're a Mercedes fan, you cheer for George Russell. Now, although he drove for Williams last year, like, okay, well I'll cheer for George now, although I still might like Valtteri Bottas who's driving for Alfa Romeo now, 
but that's my allegiance. I'm not changing my hat. Right. So for this to have that kind of like, you know, there's going to might be a, a team or whoever it is. And we've heard there have been rumors about specific players from specific geographical regions of the world. That's as specific as I'm going to get in particular brands that have already kind of talked to, you know, this, this is potential, right. Like much to your point, like can't get any more specific than that, but like, this is part of the ongoing discussion of how this whole thing can, can like shift. And that is the, that's the, that's the one element that the, you know, as I said, it's not, not to say that Greg Norman's the guy from dumb and dumber, but like they've walking around with a briefcase full of money and like, they've figured out ways to like, I'm going to get what I want now. And if this is the model that they're going to go after, like, that's probably what they're going to drive because it's economically going to work well for them. And like, in well, forward. and the other interesting thing to your point, you know, and I've been fascinated by this. You said guys come in and they're Titleist guys or they're TaylorMade guys. I guarantee you they're all over the, most of them are over the age of 40. And the reason being, I read this study one time and it was both fascinating and depressing. The pair of jeans you buy at 40 is the pair they're going to bury you in. Basically, you know, your, 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 your buying Sean, habits are like set in stone. <laughs> I got a few more years left, so it's good. Something about at the end of this podcast that just it either gets really off the rails or really dark. But continue. (laughs) Or a little bit of of both. But the the point being, people get set in their ways as to their buying habits. And if you bought a couple of generations of a Callaway driver, suddenly you're a Callaway driver. You know, you're a Callaway person. Or if you, you know, we just it's the same reason you buy, you know, the same toothpaste. It's just, you get set in your ways. And I think golf is another example of that. And that's why I think that the OEMs are looking at this live thing is, you know, there's a reason that marketers go from like 22, 23 to 35. And they know those are the years that are the formidable years in which your habits are being set. And to your point, Arby, if you suddenly are wearing a, a Mercedes hat or let's just say a tailor-made hat because you're following the, the tailor-made live team and you've been doing that for five or seven years, you're more likely to become a tailor-made golfer that buys tailor-made products and habitually follows that. So it's it's smart to see that after 40, they don't care about you because you're kind of locked in you know, from a preference standpoint. But before that, they really want you to make an association and develop a habit with a specific brand. I, I won't recreate the bit. I'll just tell people to go find it. But there's a Jerry, there's a very specific Jerry Seinfeld bit where he talks about, you know, the outfit that a man is wearing when he's casual is the, is the exact year that he just found comfort in his life. So like you can walk around and be like, Oh, 1998, that was a good year. Like he's got his t-shirt on, like whatever it happens to be. And um, that's a, that's a very short synopsis of the joke, but uh I understand, I understand it. Like I, I get the idea of what that means. And, you know, I, I, as someone who is now closer to the end of thirties than I am towards the beginning of them. Uh, I bought my first pair of like jogger pants with like the little tight ankles uh, earlier this year or this wind this past winter. And I immediately was like, cause I thought, ah, they're not maybe they're not my thing. Then I bought my first pair and then I own immediately owned like five more pairs. So like, what have I been missing out on? Like, this is the whole point. This, I got to get into the trend. I'm probably like, I'm probably too old now. I probably missed the trend. Um, But uh, yeah, again, it comes down to that idea of like getting people into the, into the product from a branding perspective, the van itself from live is unbranded, but you know, going forward, that could be different. Yeah. All right. Enough live talk. Let's get to one 
your question and then call it a pod. This one comes from Ryan Fitzgerald on Instagram. He's at real Ryan Fitz. Should always start the handles. I never do a good job of doing that. He wants to know how common is it for pros to have the same shaft configuration throughout their set of woods, uh, meaning in the driver, three wood, et cetera. I assume it's common practice, but how many pros bounce between brands or just different shafts within the same brand, say Aventus Black in their driver and Aventus Blue in the fairway hybrid, just as an example. What do you what do you think? I'll give I'll give my take, but what do you guys what do you guys think? Uh I mean, being out there and, and seeing it, I mean, it 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 kind of sounds like oversimplified, but a lot of the relationships when it comes to certain like shaft products or is, is feel and the relationship you have with the rep that's out there. And that's why these guys' jobs are so important. Um, because there are uh particular uh brands that like might work well and not not they work well in other heads, but like a player just prefers that feel. And from driver to you know, if someone's because they change drivers more often than you see in the fairy woods, a lot of times someone might have a fairy wood shafts that are a few generations old from another company, another OEM, but then the new driver shaft will be something that's different because maybe that OEM is working with a particular like shaft manufacturer, whatever it happens to be. But they'll try it and they'll really like it. So when they, you know, like you no, know, by the time it comes to replace a fairy wood or something like that, then they're like, Well, I like this what can we do that might be similar if I'm looking at my new next fairy wood? That's the trickle down effect. It's not very common for people to switch fairy wood shafts and then go into the driver. It's usually the downward, but I'm not saying that they don't because they're always changing and tinkering with stuff anyways. But um, I would say that to, to say that like, it has to be like from a particular brand or model uh, you'd be surprised that there's a lot of switch, but some players are very much like a Mitsubishi, Fujikura, true temper, project X, whatever it happens to be. A lot of players will stick within those brands. Uh, either for feel or, you know, just because of a relationship, but, or just the fact that, you know, they've used it for a long time and it worked. That's why you see S 400 and wedge shafts and a lot of X 100s and, and project X and, and iron shafts. Cause they've used them since they were teenagers and they like the feel and they're not going to switch. Yeah, I would totally agree. A lot of those guys out there are pretty set. doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be playing, you know, Ventus and, and everything, but typically if they've got a Ventus in the driver, there's a pretty good chance you might see, a few more. Um, but I mean, I just going through, as you were talking, I was just going through photos of guys bags. There, there are some players that play that play different brands throughout, but I, I would say manufacturer usually stays the state stays the same, but the, the model might change. That's usually the, the bigger difference. And, well, and, and, some, and some of that is some of that is if they're, you know, if they're looking for a certain flight window and maybe, you know, the shaft and their driver can't quite provide that. You know, let's let's say, for example, that they want their fairway wood to flare a little bit more. And so therefore they want that um, maybe to be, you know, maybe the lag just a little bit so that they're hitting down on it, causing that ball to come up. Whereas with the driver, they don't want that so that, you know. The tour rep could come to him and go, hey, we're going to put this in your driver, but we're going to put this in your fairway wood to get you the flight window that you're looking for. Because, I mean, you know, what's what's so crazy about tour players, and it does have applicability to amateurs as well, is you really, you know, even though you don't hit it perfectly, you should know what your kind of ideal flight or your objective flight is for a specific club so that when you do hit it, everything's set up ideally it will go there but you know these guys have flight windows for everything and sometimes those flight windows don't necessarily jive 
in regard to what the shaft profile is, you know, from a, from a bend standpoint. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I saw out of the rage, everything was uh, Rory Sabatini on Monday. I think it was Monday. Uh, he was out there with a couple different, like, from people from different shaft manufacturers. They're all hanging around. They're talking. Like, they're not, it's not a war out there. They're not hitting each other with golf clubs trying to, like, keep, shoot people away. Um, but he's, they're talking and they're talking different fields. And he basically was screwed a driver shaft into one of his drivers, tried something else. And he goes, hit it like three times. He goes, I could, if I could just see that 14 times, like, I'll do it. Like, that's what I want on the golf course. What I need on the golf course. And that's what it comes down to is, we might not see a huge difference when we're standing behind these players, but we can't interpret what they feel. You can never interpret as a fitter what an individual golfer is going to feel because of their tempo or the, just their transition or just what their interpretation is, right? Everyone's interpretation is going to be different. So for any golfer on tour, that's why you see these different, like some will have a 50 gram shaft in a driver, 80 gram shaft in a fairway. Is that common? No, but it does happen because they're all looking for different feels and that could be from the same manufacturer or not, but it really does come down to the individual. Yep. It definitely does. I know a couple of guys that play the same shaft weight throughout their woods. Sergio Garcia is the first one that comes to mind and, you know, varying it is something that you see more often. You might see a guy play seven X in their, driver in an eight X and their three wood and kind of add a little bit more weight if they go into a five. So it just all depends on your feel and what you're trying to accomplish. All right. With that, I think that'll do it for episode 150 of fully equipped. If you want more gear news, you can all check us out on social media. We are at fully underscore equipped on Twitter and at fully equipped golf on Instagram. RB is going to be taking over the social channels. So maybe we'll actually get some real, meaty content i think we're going to bring some of the q a style stuff over to the instagram stories a little bit that'll be fun it's 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 much needed so go check out the social channels rb is going to be handling them dishing out some good insights and content thanks as all for listening we'll see you next week